Hi, Char Beauchart here. Like me, you obviously listen to podcasts. You're learning, and that's a good thing, but are you also earning ASHA CEUs as you listen? Newsflash, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering a new discounted annual podcast subscription, and you need to take advantage of it. SpeechTherapyPD.com is the leader in speech-language pathology podcasts. They produce over 16 new podcasts with great topics, including ethics, every month. Listen to Speech Uncensored, First Bite, SLP Now, as well as the Speech Link. Here's what you do. Go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, access the podcast subscription, and at checkout, enter my special discount code to get a full $20 off. Instead of $79 per year, you pay just $59 and listen to as many as you want. Here's the code. Are you ready? Speech 20. Speech 20. That's it. Choose from over 175 hours of on-demand pod courses and get practical information and your CEUs. <laughs> it's absolutely a no-brainer. Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Char Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Maybe you've heard of other SLPs having a mentor, and you thought, oh, I could never do that. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. Or maybe you've heard of others being a mentor, and you came to the conclusion that you just don't know enough or you don't have the time. Those are valid concerns, but I suggest you look deeper. Being a mentor or a mentee is a win-win. As a mentee, you have help, support, and someone to brainstorm with. And as a mentor, you're passing the baton, so to speak. You're passing along your knowledge and experience that will certainly benefit another SLP, but will also expand your reach to their therapy kids as well. Oh, yeah, this interview will open new doors and ideas for you. Grab your pen and paper. Here we go. Today, Dr. Regina Lemon-Bush is my guest. She holds a Ph.D. and M.S. from the University of South Carolina, and currently she is a dean and full professor at West Coast University. Prior to that, she was an associate professor and program director at Columbia College, South Carolina, as well as South Carolina State University. Now, at Columbia College, she literally revamped all of the courses in the college's speech-language pathology program, including adding experiential and scenario-based learning, mock therapy sessions, which is very cool, service learning projects with a variety of newly established community partners, and student-mentored research. Her students have presented research at state and national conventions over the past 10 years. Personally, her research interests are language and literacy, health literacy, and cultural competence. And as you would imagine, with her focus on practicality, she has worked as a speech-language pathologist, including in her own private practice, Lemon Speech and Language Services, in the schools, and at the Regional Medical Center in Orangeburg, South Carolina. In her spare time, She's been a past president of the South Carolina Speech-Language Hearing Association and an advisory council member of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association, ASHA. She is best known as a builder. She has built programs, resources, and people who have positively impacted others' lives. She was acknowledged for her work as the 2019 recipient of the South Carolina Independent Colleges and Universities Excellence in Teaching Award. And she says, quotes, I strive to always make time for loved ones and to pay it forward in life. And that sentiment totally fits with our topic today. I'm so honored to speak with you, Regina. Welcome to the speech link. Thank you, Char. I am so excited to be joining you with the speech link today and to have a chance to speak to all of the individuals out there and just share information and, uh, and, and learn more as well as uh, be able to impart knowledge. Yes. I actually got to meet you at the ASHA convention this year, and I was just so impressed with you as a person but also your vast knowledge. So yes, I too am just thrilled that you're here. Now we are talking about the speech language pathologist, the SLP, that works in the schools today, right? 
Correct. We are. Uh, today, our topic will be uh, talking about how to mentor uh, emerging um, professionals and to provide them with support and encouragement so that we can retain speech language pathologists in the school setting. Ooh, yeah. Now, I worked for several years as a school SLP in Southern California, as well as here in Georgia. And I've done many seminars throughout the country, and I've personally spoken with school SLPs. And I can definitely state there is a shortage of school SLPs. And, and a few reasons come to mind. But let's lay our base with this simple question. Why? There are numerous reasons that there's a shortage of speech-language pathologists in the schools. One of the ones that rise to the forefront is uh, the fact that there is a differential in pay between school-based settings and uh, perhaps private practices, clinics, or um, you know some of the other settings. But one thing that I like to point out to a lot of emerging professionals that schools bring to the table is that you're working nine months out of the year. So right. sometimes you need to rethink about the difference in pay. Because if you were to add on those extra three months of pay, uh, should you, if you were to work uh, year round, uh, if schools were year round, then the pay would closer approximate some of the other settings. Okay. Uh, and then some of the, another reason that there is a shortage of speech language pathologists uh, is that in rural settings, a lot of times there really are not uh, professionals who desire to live in a smaller town, mm -hmm. um, but there are uh, great uh, reasons that you should want to go to small towns and to be a speech pathologist in a small town. If you live in a big city, traveling 30 to 45 minutes out of town uh, puts you in the reverse flow of traffic. And that helps with your, you know, just stress, uh, de-stressing and not having a stressful drive to a school that is in the middle of, of the city that you may reside. Mm -hmm. Um uh, and then a lot of times smaller school districts have perks that some of the other school districts may not. Um, some of the perks could include a smaller caseload mm -hmm. or uh, they may pay for supplemental services like billing Medicaid um, or have a, an assistant that comes around to assist you with uh copying papers, uh, helping to do uh, things with your IEPs. So a lot of times there are huge benefits to working in, the, in, in a smaller setting, as well as the benefit of uh, a lot of times the mentoring uh, piece in a smaller setting versus somewhere that is large. So, I mean, sometimes it's a matter of rethinking where, uh, where you are and, and, and what you can bring to a, a, a smaller rural community. Boy, I agree with every single one of those reasons. And to me, um, and I was a school therapist for many years, I absolutely love the schools. And I've done a private practice. I worked for a little bit in, in the, the hospital setting. And I have to tell you, one of the big benefits, or I'm going to say the big reasons. Part of my motivation, even here at my retired state quotes, <laughs> yeah, I'm retired, right? <laughs> I am actually thinking about going back into the schools. I miss it. <laughs> I miss it a lot. And what I miss are the kids yeah. pulling together with the teachers, speaking with the parents, yes. hopefully having you know, some impact there. Mm -hmm. I miss the camaraderie and the interaction. I love the little smiles. And, you know, I'll admit it. I hugged every single one of my kids. I know sometimes you're not supposed to do that, but I do. I mean, at the end of every therapy session, we hugged <laughs> and I miss that a lot. And I know, yes, there's the paperwork and so on. And yeah. you know, you just try and systematize it as best as you can. Yes. But that interaction with the kids and the teachers and the parents, 
I don't think there's any better way to spend your life. And in private practice, you have to drum up business. I mean, you have to do it all. Your marketing, you have all of the insurance stuff or how if you're going to do private pay, then you have to elevate and you have to market even harder. You know, it's not all that is cracked up to be. I enjoyed it. Yes. But I have to say, I loved the schools. But the schools to me, you're on the front lines and you have the biggest opportunity to impact children's lives. Yes, you do. You have such a great opportunity just to uh, put an imprint on a child's life and to help them in numerous ways and to really share with them uh, the information that you've learned in and be able to expand their communication. And as we know, communication yes. is the key to a successful life and can take you on to uh, STEM professions or a profession where you're working with your hands. So, you know, uh, we are really uh, the individuals that open up a wide door to expand that child's life. Yes. And that's an awesome opportunity. It is. It absolutely is. And, and I know people say, oh, you have group therapy. And I'm saying, oh, yeah, it's a whole lot better than having 25, 30 kids in your classroom. And I really believe that we have, even though it's, you know, maybe one hour total a week, you can impart a lot in that one hour, not only for the person's communication abilities, but also just for their you know, emotional support. Sometimes kids will talk to you as a therapist uh, when they may not open up to a teacher. So yeah, we've all had those experiences. So. Exactly. And I've had numerous experiences like that um, as both a uh, school-based speech language pathologist, um, working in middle schools as well as uh, elementary schools. And then in private practice, I uh, contracted with several school districts and mm -hmm. often had that same experience. And, you know, one of the highlights of, of my life is uh, working with a child uh, for several years and uh, seeing her grow and uh, overcome a praxis of speech. And then later on in life, I saw her uh, at a grocery store oh. and she came up and we had a conversation and I was able to understand her. Oh. Uh, it, you know, by then she was in her teenage years uh, and I had started working with her in kindergarten wow. and I just thought what a drastic difference from, you know, years previously. And, you know, when you see the changes that you can make in a child's life, why wouldn't you do it? Exactly. Oh, what a great phrase. I love that. Yes. And now we want to pass that along. Yeah. And share the joy with other SLPs. So, I, you know, I love that word mentor. Briefly tell me, what is the difference between being, quotes, a good example and being a mentor? Uh, I feel as though a good example is a, is a one-time shot. Mm. You know, that's, it is captured in snapshots. Yes. You, you take a picture and a, a person is, is able to see that you're able to do uh, a certain thing well at one particular candid moment in time. Okay. But when you're mentoring someone, that is a uh, experience that can take you really throughout that person's um, lifetime. And you can see them develop from the point of perhaps mentoring them when they're in graduate school or uh, an undergraduate program and they are your student clinician uh, and then following that person on throughout their career and they're able to call you and you're able to check in with them at certain points and a lot of times you can bounce things off of a mentor that you couldn't tell someone who you feel is just a great example because you don't have a relationship with that person. Uh, and that is the key, that relationship yes. of positive and a 
strong relationship that that person can tell you the good that they're doing and also the things that are weaknesses that need improvement so that you can assist. Oh, I love that. And it's not like, you know, being observed by your special ed, you know, your program manager or your principal, and you know that you're being, quotes, graded. A mentor is a person that has your best interest at heart teaching you and so that you can learn and improve. Is that correct? It is. It very, uh, very much so. You are spot on. And in order to overcome that stigma of feeling graded or improving, a lot of times uh, if us as the supervisor, um, us as the mentors are able to uh, acquire skills such as um, learning techniques and learning about learning styles that individuals have who are uh, new speech language pathologists in the profession and learning how to collaborate and have great interprofessional um, interpersonal communication skills with them and even the concept of intergenerational mentoring comes into play because as you're are in a different uh, age range or category when you're mentoring a person. Lots of times there can be miscommunication, not necessarily because, you know, that person thinks right or wrong, but it could be that as a part of the generation you're in, you operate in a different mode of communication. Mm. And that's always something that is, um, is important to understand. So here's an example. Yes. Um, Some of the individuals that I'm mentoring now, a lot of times they like to communicate with me through text messaging, but I like to pick up the phone a lot of times and just give you a call because for me, I enjoy hearing that inflection in that your voice Yes. or Hearing you, hearing hearing a mentee, if their voice starts to quiver or to hear that uncertainty. And sometimes with text messaging, I feel that's taken away. But I've learned to... Uh, to go with the flow, to accept the text messages. And if I'm absolutely unclear about something or if I'm unsure to follow up with another text message or, you know, hey, can I call, you know, can I call you to for a five minute chat when you're available? Yes. Let me know what time. Yes. So then that way it's the give and the take. I'm accepting the text messages, but when I'm not sure what's going on with that person, if I'm reading their tone through the text message correct or not to, you know, pick up the phone so I can speak with them. Oh boy, that happens. You know, every once in a while I get an email from a therapist that has a question. And so I do, I'm going to say a little mini mentoring Yes. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, I'll email them back so I can sit and type in a response, you know, and especially cause I'm, I'm more into speech. There are so many facets and components that you can't just sit and write you know, three pages worth. <laughs> so there's always something that's left out. Yeah. And so it ends up going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, I will say, you know, would you mind if we just talked on the phone about this? Mm-hmm. And but yeah, so I do try and honor that initial email. Okay, at least open the door. And then hopefully they too see that, you know, true clarity <laughs> comes from that time of verbally interacting. Yes. Because I need to know what they're getting and what they're not so that I can clarify it. Exactly. And, and you know, just provide them with maybe uh, the skills or the support they need if they do not have the knowledge in that specific area. And, you know, that's one thing, another thing that I would like to talk about in terms of, you know, just meeting with your mentees that are, that work in schools. Sometimes it's great to go to their therapy room, uh, but in some situations, a therapy room may be shared with a, uh, another uh, professional 
Um, so, so sometimes some of the sensitive conversations that you may have, may want to have, may not be appropriate for that particular space. That's where a lot of times, you know, a cup of coffee after school at a coffee shop comes in mm-hmm. uh, wonderful. It's a time to, you know, de-stress. And pull away from the situation, you're in another environment, and perhaps that mentee will have the opportunity to speak with you a little more candidly about things that are occurring without having all of the, the ears around and, um, you know, the, the pressure of being in the environment. Um, so, uh, you know, th- that's always something that works really well for me. Good point. Yes, both of you feel more open to sharing. Exactly. Let's say I've just graduated, you know, I have my master's and I'm heading into the schools and I I don't even know how to contact someone, you know, to approach them to become a mentor or do I wait? Is it best to wait? You know, I get my feet wet after three or four or five years and then contact somebody or, or, you know, maybe somebody that's been working 15 years I mean, what are all the different levels of approaching someone to be become a mentor for them? Oh my goodness, what a great question. I would say that, you know, you can be mentored at any point in your career. Ah. Um, there are times when you might want a, a mentor when you're straight out of school. I think that is um, awesome. You know, you might have your CF supervisor, uh, but you can also have a different person who's just a mentor for you outside of your CF supervisor, okay. um, if you would like. And, and a lot of times it, it depends on the dynamics of the selection for that CF supervisor. Sometimes in certain situations, you may not have an option um, in a school because there may only be, you know, one or two individuals who are willing to serve as that CF supervisor, but perhaps, you know, your personality um, does not mesh then if that's the case, then it's nothing wrong with having another mentor. Or if your personality is mesh and you love your CF mentor, a supervisor, that person may also be your mentor as well. Um, But one of the most important pieces to the puzzle as a new professional uh, in a school is being willing and open to receiving feedback and constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. Because that feedback is not to say that you're wrong. The feedback is really like a hammock. That hammock is there. When you lay back in the hammock, it catches you. It stops you from falling to the floor. And that's what a mentor, a great mentor does. Uh That person catches you before you're you're about to uh, fall and they provide you with strategies to help you improve your therapy sessions. And perhaps it's only one type of therapy that you're having difficulty with or one type of diagnostics that you're having difficulty with. All of us have areas of weakness. So anyone should be open to improving at any stage in their career. Yes. And one other thing that I want to point out is for the individuals who are wanting uh, mentoring later on in your career, Mm -hmm. you can be mentored by someone who is younger than you if they have that skill set that you need in order to transition perhaps to a new uh, setting. Perhaps you have worked in a high school or middle school for years and you're switching to working with the itty bitties, um, you know, in a child development center or elementary school. You may want to seek mentoring or vice versa. Um, you know, if you work have worked in an elementary school for years and you're switching to a high school or middle school, then you may want to get mentoring in order to provide the highest quality services that are possible. And there are so many new things that are um you know, that we are starting to provide therapy for in speech language pathology. 
that it behooves all of us to, uh, you know, just reach out to individuals to help us uh, with areas that we may not know as much. Yes. And and there are always those areas <laughs> that we don't yeah. feel comfortable <laughs> with. Absolutely always. And, and I think that sometimes, you know, new therapists think that they have to know everything about everything. And I guess you kind of have to know a smattering about everything. And But you, I'm going to say most of us burrow in and specialize in a particular area. And then you know, you get through with the other stuff. And and I think it would be a great idea to have a mentor to sort of shore up those areas that you don't feel especially competent in to do the best therapy that I can with all of my kids. And that probably is where the whole sense of being willing to approach someone to be a mentor comes from, that you want to know more so that you can help your kids. Exactly. And in addition to that, um, you know, the thought process that uh, you know everything is just, you know, not realistic in life. So, you know, when we reach out to, to other SLPs, a lot of times our community as speech language pathologists is so you know, supportive that if if you just reach out to someone, if they're able to help you that, you know, most times they will. And if they're not able to, a lot of times they'll say, I don't know how to do this as perhaps well enough to um, share it with you, but I know someone who does. Uh. Um, so, you know, even that is uh, very important, you know, just being able to um, realize as a mentor, you're not going to know everything there is. So sometimes you might have to refer um, an individual on to someone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in terms of paperwork, uh, you know, there's so many new things that um, are emerging uh, really sometimes every couple of months that, you know, it behooves you just to stay in contact with another speech pathologist and not operate in a silo um, so that you're able to, you know, know the changes that are, um, you know, coming down the pike mm -hmm. so that you're aware that you're able to implement those changes and, and have the correct information written in the IP or the supporting, you know, sheets of paper to ensure that, you know, you're not infringing upon any child's or parents' rights. And in terms of of paperwork and IEPs, you know, things are always changing with um, the the computer programs that are being used and the supp supplemental uh, sheets of paper that preserves the the parents' rights and the child's um, right rights to a, a free and appropriate uh, public education. So. We're not going to always know everything. So a mentor is a wonderful person that can ensure that you're you're always in the know and uh, and is and operating in um, under the correct guidelines and regulations for your state or school district. Very good. Now, I want to stay with the, the mentee just for a minute. Yeah. And then I want to go into the mentor. Now, as a mentee, how do I approach someone? You know, I mean, I, mentors don't hang their shingle out and say, hey, you know, I'm willing to be a mentor. You know, how do I approach someone? In the past, uh, and also in uh, the book Leadership and Speech Language Pathology, uh, I wrote about informal uh, conversations and informal uh, interactions uh, that you may have. Those interactions are striking up a conversation with, some, um, you know, a speech language pathologist when you're at the district meeting is, uh, is critical. It could just be uh, saying hello to everyone who is at the table that you're sitting. Mm -hmm. Naturally, as speech language pathologists, we're all typically talkers. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've <laughs> gone to um, workshops and have facilitated workshops for speech language pathologists, and we're the 
talkiest, you know, <laughs> talkingest group ever, you know, and I love it. Yep. And, you know, those are the opportunities that you have to just talk to individuals. And, and as you're talking, if you see that person has, you know, a, a great vibe or a lot of times, you know, if you are um, a speech language pathologist and perhaps you are, are of a certain ethnicity, maybe you want a mentor that is of the same ethnicity as you are because you feel comfortable with that person. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, those are all the, the things that you can, you know, consider during your, your informal interactions. And another place that I love to get a, a mentor is at state association meetings mm-hmm. and also um, at Ash. I don't know how many times over the years I've met people at conventions and just struck up a conversation with someone as I'm walking through the convention hall or when I'm sitting in a session and that person is beside me says, oh, I've experienced what that presenter is talking about. And I'm like, but I haven't, you know, I don't know anything about this. And I'll strike up a conversation with that person afterwards, share my business card with that individual and hope that they'll share theirs with me and ask and, you know, and ask them, is is it okay for me to email or call you uh, when I return home? And, you know, lots of times that have, that has led to wonderful mentoring and coaching relationships that have, have lasted for years. Wow. In fact, that's how I met you. Yeah, it probably, yeah, it is. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> A conversation in the kitchen hall. It works. Yes. (laughs) It works. See, you're you're going outside the box here. You know, I was thinking, oh, another therapist in the school district, you know, or maybe even, you know, my box is maybe another school district nearby. But we're talking email and, you know, obviously you have FaceTime and you've got all these ways that you can communicate. The person, you know, doesn't have to be sitting there next to you. You can meet them, like I said, in that district meeting, but there are all sorts of ways that you can um, meet individuals. And and frankly, my very first mentor in the school uh, w- was Felicia Lawrence. And uh, she was only maybe a year uh older than I and but she provided a wealth of information in my first day uh, at the school setting up my classroom she came in and you need here's what you need to do and I had my ideas and I put my ideas in in place and I heard her ideas and I used some of her ideas and then we have had something that I refer to as pulse checks Hmm. At different points throughout the the year, she would contact me or I would contact her and it was just a check-in. Are you still alive? <laughs> a pulse check, like P-U-L-S-E. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> P-U-L-S-E. Are you still alive? What can I do to help you? Can I come over to your school? And there were times with her that uh, she would call and say, I'm totally overwhelmed. And and 20 years ago, when we first started in this profession, you know, you had to screen all of the kids in kindergarten and first grade. <laughs> and, yep, yep, remember. And that would go on for weeks. And I would go over to her school and help her screen. And she would come back to mine and help me screen. Aww. And we got it done in a snap. Yes. So, you know, there are all sorts of, of, of ways that you establish uh, a, a mentoring and coaching relationships. And, and she and I are still friends. And uh, ironically, uh, I recruited her to work at South Carolina State. And I was her mentor the no. first year she worked at South Carolina State. Aww. So everything in life, a lot of times, is, is cyclical. Yes. You help someone and you never know when that person may help you. Uh, I love it. Oh, that's a wonderful experience, a wonderful story. It is. It is. And that's just one of many, I am totally sure. Now, let's talk about the mentor 
and mentoring. And I imagine there's going to be someone when asked that says, I don't know enough. And, and I'm going to say many of us know a lot and we know a lot about the practicality and, you know, the implementation of therapy. And I think we know more than we think we know. But there's going to be somebody that says, I don't think I'm highly qualified to do this. What can you say to someone listening that might have that kind of response? Yes. You know, I would say to them uh, two things. If you feel like you don't have um, the experience, uh, lots of times we negate the things that we, we do and think, oh, everybody does it that way. But until you reach out to someone else um, and reach out to help someone else, that's when you realize a lot of times that everybody does not do it the way that you do it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps you're on to some spectacular therapy technique. And really, the only way you're going to have the opportunity to, to share that technique is through the interactions that you have with someone else. So give it a try. Step out there on faith and, you know, you will be surprised the impact that you can have um, on another uh, professional. And, you know, I I truly believe if more uh new professionals were mentored in a caring and um, loving manner, then we would we would have more uh, individuals who would stay in the schools, uh, who would, you know, overlook some of the, of the issues with the time, with the paperwork, because they grow to really love what they do. And then they embrace the um, the the techniques that they're bringing, um, therapy techniques that they're bringing to children in their schools. And, um, you know, if you recruit good people into your school district, when you mentor and coach them, you are enabling them to develop leadership skills that that will then help the next person. And in that regard, wow. you're part of a chain that's helping our entire profession. Yes. Oh, that is so true. Uh, that's the pay it forward that you were talking about in the introduction, huh? It is. That is the pay it forward. And when you when you're paying it forward, I think one of the skills that is so important to learn um, as a mentor uh, is I would say go and look up the concept of emotional intelligence. And with emotional intelligence, a lot of times, you know, it is, um, you know, the understanding um, that individuals bring different things to um, their, because of their life experiences. And some characteristics of emotional intelligence include, you know, self-awareness, self-regulation or the ability to control yourself in an emotional situations. And we know sometimes IEP meetings can be highly emotional. Um, so, you know, it's important to be able to teach those techniques um, to the next generation of speech language pathologists. Um, emotional intelligence include motivation and empathy um, and social skills that will help um, to move a, a, a relationship forward with children and being able to understand them. Um, and with that emotional intelligence, it's also the thought process as a, as a mentor of knowing when I've told this person too much about um, how to correct the situation and when to back off some and say, you know what, um, I'm going to share this piece of, you know, this piece of the puzzle with you or only a few strategies to help um, a child. And then maybe the, if the person gets overwhelmed really quickly, then you 
come back another time and share a few more strategies in a couple of days. And so then in that manner, that mentee is learning incrementally um, to provide therapy in the areas that he or she has weaknesses. And so in that regard, you're keeping in mind that not everyone learns the same. Yes. Not everyone acquires new information at the same rate or at the rate that you acquire it. And so as a result, you're considering how that person learns and you're tailoring it to to them, just like you would one of the children that are in your, you know, on your caseload. You, you tailor things to them in that same manner. You're using your emotional intelligence a lot of times without even thinking about it when you're providing therapy. You can use, use those same strategies as you are mentoring others. Oh, I'm writing that down. Emotional intelligences. So just Google that. Yes. Is that information in your book? And and you know what? I don't even have that. Leadership and speech pathology, did you say? Yes, it's leadership and speech language pathology. Uh, the author is Linda Carosa. Um, she's actually one of my mentors. And funny story with this um, book, it's one of the first leadership uh, textbooks in speech language pathology. But I met Linda at a conference um, and she and I struck up a, a conversation. We remained in contact. Uh, we were both developing uh, master's programs at that same time. And, you know, we were walking in the same path. And when she decided to write this book, she asked me to do a chapter. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agreed to do a chapter on um, mentoring emerging leaders because that's that's what I've done, you know, my entire career. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I decided that I had this awesome kick butt student um, named Katie LaForce. And she, Katie was an undergrad and she became a a graduate, uh, excuse me, she became a research assistant for Linda on her book. So she was just supposed to be researching information. And before we knew it, Katie had written a chapter. So she's got a chapter in the book. So one of my mentees has also written a chapter in this book. (laughs) So, you know, there are so many opportunities that you can share with others and just kind of pass it along and pay it forward. You know, it, it really helps. It works. Yes, I love it. You know, I love what you were saying as far as the style and really focusing on how you share information with your mentee. Oh, wow, that is so important because most of us have information, technique, whatever, but it's how we share it. By way of an example, you know, I've done a lot of seminars through BER, through the Bureau of Education and Research. Yes. And every year, my director would come out and observe me doing a seminar. Well, Frank would sit in the back with his big yellow pad and he would write I mean, like pages of information. Yes. And I'm always concerned. Well, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, am I doing something right? Something wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, I would find out. We would go out to dinner. He would treat you to salmon and wine. And we would sit there and chat. He always, without fail, would start with the positive things that I did throughout the day. And then he would turn to the things that I needed help with. Always very constructive. Always very helpful. I took notes and I feel like I'm a better presenter because of Frank. When we would leave dinner, I was walking on a cloud. Exactly. And that's actually a strategy um, that is frequently used. And um, my mom is a, a retired school teacher and she calls it sandwiching. And you tell the person something positive, then you tell them the areas of weakness, what they can improve and how they can improve on that weakness and then end with something positive. And that is uh, just um, lets your story just really emphasizes that sandwiching works and that it is an effective strategy for um, coaching and mentoring um, individuals to success. It really works. Yes. Do you have another one or two for us? Just in case some of us are fortunate enough to be a mentor. Okay. So in terms of school-based 
therapy, I would say, you know, one of the really important things to uh, share is your strategy for uh, documentation. Um, I have seen a lot of speech pathologists who have a uh, speech book and, you know, all of the books look a little different, but, um, you know, in, within that book, you might have a section for each group and the name with the name of the uh, children in the group, the name of the teacher, um, the IEP goals for each child um, on uh, the left side of the page. And then a, uh, uh, a sheet with numerous days worth of document documentation. Um, that is a system that works and is very effective. I have um, tried different ways of having um, materials prepared for 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 groups of children. Um, one of the things that I've done is um, use the uh, super duper um, Arctic book or the, um, I love the no glamour books, but I would have, you know, pages prepared. And if I was in a school district where I couldn't photocopy a lot, then I would put um, the goals up on the board for the different groups. And then, um, you know, I would have I would use the board at, instead of using uh, worksheets. Uh, and so a lot of those strategies are things that are just really simple, fast, quick, um, and easy to do. And especially when you're, you know, preparing in advance, if you have all of the, the sheets uh, for that particular group all together. Another thing that I like to do is I love literacy-based language therapy um, it, because, you know, you can, you can target not just language, but you can target Arctic. And if you use the same book for, um, you know, a week or two weeks, then you can do many different things with the same book. Um, and then that kind of systematizes things. And the kids get into a pattern where they know one therapy session, you may read the book and you may ask some comprehension questions. You know, the next time they may do an activity that's based around that book because, you know, it's only 30 minutes at a time. Those 30 minute se sessions roll around so fast. Mm -hmm. The next week, you know, we may make a craft, but it might take two therapy sessions to make mm -hmm. the craft. And you're targeting things like following directions and um, space concepts and, you know, any number of different skills um, just by making the craft, not to mention uh, the whole thought process that as children are um, using different uh, learning styles and working with their hands, a lot of times it solidifies things in the brain. So, um, and, and, I'm digressing because now I'm talking about specific therapy techniques. You've done therapy, haven't you? Yeah, it's totally fun. And you just learn and, and it takes a while. And if you have a mentor, I bet having a mentor yes. to suggest an, or even just to brainstorm ideas as to how you can do things, how you can work smarter, not harder. Smarter, not harder. And that's. That's the key. And, you know, therapists in the schools talk about, oh, I've got so much paperwork. And that's because they do. <laughs> you know, they absolutely do. I mean, you have all of your reports and the IEPs and all of that. And the IEP meetings. I mean, you cannot get away from that. Yeah. But you can systematize the way that you do therapy mm -hmm. so it doesn't add to your stress of what am I going to do with this kid? You know, so that whole thing of choosing a story and using it, I've used a story for like a month. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do and just streamlining your therapy can be a big help and alleviate some of that stress that you feel. Exactly. Yes. And I think too, you know, just keeping up with, um, you know, your tallies on a daily basis and putting in Medicaid. I mean, I found over the years that it was much easier for me to take, you know, 15, 20 minutes at the end of the day um, and input my, my Medicaid instead of waiting for a month. Um, so if you do things incrementally, it helps. And, you know, putting dates on calendars, um, it, 
you know, that helps as well, especially, um, you know, if you have a, a laptop that your school provides you, uh, putting in the dates that, uh, you know, hey, I have to have this evaluation done at this date. I need to send out the um, letter um, to the parent on this date. And, you know, just kind of systematizing things so that you make sure you're you're meeting all the um you know, the specific requirements with the paperwork that helps as well. Yes, exactly. And I did this in Georgia. I mean, I was in a wonderful school district here in Georgia. And I figured out that if I actually left, and I think it was like somewhere around a half hour, 45 minutes, right before lunch, okay, that that gave me time to bring in a kid and test the child or to write an IEP meeting or to catch up on whatever it is that I need to do, or to go out and see a parent, because I hate to cancel therapy, but sometimes I would have to. But I found that building in that extra time every day was better for me than say, putting it on Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. I kept up better, but it gave me a little flex time every day. Yes. At any rate, yes. Oh, Regina, it has been so much fun talking with you about this. This is a fascinating subject and it's such a beneficial one. And it really is something that we all need to think about. I mean, we kind of get focused on our own little world of what we're doing and we kind of forget to share it with other people. And that is just such a critically important piece in our profession. It is. And um, I would say that each of us have greatness inside, uh, but you'll never know how great you are sometimes until you share. I love that. Well, with that, I'd like to conclude, but how can we get in touch with you? Share the name of your book again. I just want everybody to know how to be able to get in contact with you if they want to. Sure. You can reach me reach me at LinkedIn. Um, my email address is rbush, B-U-S-H, at westcoastuniversity.edu. Um, the name of the book is Leadership in Speech-Language Pathology by Linda Carosa um, and Plural Publishing publishes this book. Perfect. Oh, bless you, sweet lady. Oh, very, very interesting and, and so very critically important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure to, um, to just speak with you today. And I thoroughly enjoyed this experience. Oh, me too. All right. Take care, Regina. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.